0: Welcome to Residing in North Idaho. We have a special guest today, which I'm really excited that we got connected with. This is Bruce Matari. I said it right, didn't I? Yes, you did. Yeah. Uh, He's Kootenai County Commissioner, one of the three, and he joined us today. He wanted to uh, come on and talk about some of the things going on in Kootenai County, and we're pretty excited to have that conversation. So thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, uh, I guess, like, give us some background on where you're where you tell us about yourself? How about that? That's an easier way to say it.
1: Well, I'm originally I relocated from a conservative state. A lot of people have heard of it, <laughs> called Virginia. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Washington D.C. as a kid. Oh man! Went to University of Maryland. Graduated from high school in Maryland. And uh, as time went by, uh, the area that I grew up in became unrecognizable. Very different. And, um, I was in the process of starting a family and one of the things that happened and you may recall the, uh, um, that elementary school in Connecticut that got shot up. Yep. I was down in South America at the time watching, uh, American news and, and that it happened. I'll never forget the, uh, this school district suspended a 10 year old for chewing a pop tart into what the teacher thought was the shape of a gun.
0: Oh
1: goodness. Oh goodness. And that was the school district I graduated high school from. And, uh, I just said, you know, I don't want to raise my kids in that kind of an environment. Uh, I'm a big uh, second amendment advocate in college. I worked at a gun shop, uh, which was my first introduction into politics, believe it or not. When you grow up in DC, you don't really deal with politics. Uh, you just, you hang out with your friends, Mm. And uh, I learned a lot about, you know, just especially in Maryland, because they weren't very pro-gun. They weren't very pro-gun rights. So it was death by a thousand cuts. Every time it was just another law, another restriction, another way to keep you from being able to purchase a firearm or defend yourself. And um, so that's when I said it's time to move. It's time to leave the area. And uh, I've been to most other parts of the country. But I'd never been to this part, the inland Northwest. And one of the things I like about Idaho is that it's a very pro-gun state. It's very pro-Second Amendment, uh, pro-defend-yourself and pro-gun rights. And so when we came out here, my wife and I, we really liked it. We said, let's give it a try. And that was 10 years ago.
0: That was a good time to move here. It was a good time. You uh, beat a lot of the rush. What? So you have a business on the side as well? Is that because commissioners aren't, I mean, is there salary involved in that or is it not like, how's that work? Uh, I think most people don't. It's a
1: salaried position. Yeah. Uh, It's generally a full-time position. Okay. But full-time in the sense that I look at it as when you're at the commissioner level, your job is to make good decisions for the community. You're a policy person. Uh, If you want to spend your time dealing with administrative issues, I guess you could, but I'm elected by the people to represent their will and to develop the policy that represents what they want. Mm. And so I look at it as how do I help develop the right policy for this community?
0: I love that. What, uh, what made you even want to get into politics in that level?
1: Well, I think anyone who's been paying attention can see that our country is changing very rapidly and, Uh, we're starting to see things that are becoming very disturbing. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, uh, back in 2019, the uh, sheriff's race was uh, just starting. And so I know that the sheriff plays a very important role, especially out here in the West, as far as protecting people's rights and uh, keeping communities safe. And so I did my research on the different candidates that were running at the time. And I found one that uh, I wanted to help. And so I approached that person and said, I want to help you with your campaign. And we started meeting about once a week and uh, about three, four weeks into it. This is around May of uh, 2019. He uh, asked if I would um, be his campaign manager and uh, I'd never done anything like that before, but uh, I realized afterwards that I said yes before I thought about it (laughs) and uh, turned out to be just a knockdown, kick him, drag him through the mud, Fight, and uh, so um, that person was Bob Norris, and uh, he won in a four-way race in the uh, primary uh, with forty-five percent of the vote, and he's our sheriff now, and uh, he's one of the best sheriffs I think that this county could ever have at this point. Yeah,
2: so I, I love his press re- press releases. Yeah, yeah, I, I have this uh,
0: vision of him from the Fourth of July parade, standing in the back of a truck rolling in the parade with his a revolver on his hip. And just, I was like, that is the image of the sheriff that I want.
1: Is that a, a big black truck? That it was awesome. In?
0: I think so. Yeah. 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 That's my truck. It's
1: pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> well,
0: Nicely done. I was yeah. like, that's, that's the image. Like that's small, like the small town America and that's mm-hmm. what I want. I love sheriffs because they're elected mm-hmm. and they can do what needs to get done.
1: That's right. And, um, you know, it's surprising. Cause I think, uh, in, uh, right in the Seattle area, uh, the sheriff is now appointed, mm. Uh, in Delaware, they stripped their arrest powers. Oh, my goodness. All they do now, I think, is um, evictions.
0: That's oh my God. That, it's, it's that like slow erosion that you're talking about at the beginning of, mm-hmm. of instead of making these big changes, we make these small incremental changes over time that people barely notice. Yeah. And that's how a change is affected for the negative. That's right. And, you know, police chiefs,
1: on the other hand, they report to the mayors mm-hmm. or the county executives. And uh, typically they're the ones that have to fall on their sword when something doesn't go right. And then that mayor says, well, we fix the problem. But generally, the problem isn't the individual. The problem is the system. Here, at least, the sheriff is accountable to the, to the constituency. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that's who they serve and not a boss, if you will. Yeah. So once uh, Bob got elected, I kind of figured my job was done. Uh, but then he started talking to me about how we weren't properly funding our law enforcement here. Now, to me, defunding and underfunding are the same thing. Mm. And, you know, this area is growing fast, uh, faster than a weed, if you ask me. And the reality is, is that we're starting to see those bigger city problems here. With growth comes more crime. It's just, it it is the strongest correlator uh, to crime in a community. And uh, so that's kind of what led me to run for county commissioner.
0: Yeah, that's um That's awesome. And you're absolutely right. We hear that a lot. Uh, We have, there are some local people here that grew up here that don't like the uh, growth. And sometimes we get targeted because we have a real estate YouTube and uh, they think we're the problem. However, um, it's like, I, I try to express that to them. It's like, it's nobody's fault. It's just, it's a great place to live. People, people like the values here. People are going to move here. And with that, comes more traffic, comes more crime, comes all of those things.
1: Yeah, but it also comes with liberal policies,
0: mm.
1: okay? Because the reality is that there is no such thing as a conservative city, that with density, you have to have more rules. So at one point where you live, you could shoot a rifle in your backyard, mm-hmm. right? But with density, you can't do that. Right. And so that's where I think we have to recognize that, uh, that if we're going to have more growth, we're going to have more liberal policies. It's inevitable. It, mm. It's the way it works. It's not, it has nothing to do with what we want or what we don't want. Eventually there will be enough people compacted into a particular geography that someone will run for office and say, I will fix this for you. Because there's always that two or 3% that are kind of nuisances, if you will, that don't really respect the, um, the uh, mores of a community, the, mm. um, you know, the, uh, unspoken rules, if you will, of, uh, decency and being considerate towards others. And so that's where the law comes in and that's where politicians come in to pass these kinds of laws.
0: Yeah.
2: I never thought of it like that. That's a good way to put it.
0: Yeah. That's good.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can travel anywhere in the country, the more dense it is, the more liberal the laws.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I literally never thought of that. Is that, I mean, is that what leads to these bigger cities then becoming totally blue? is it a combination of, of it starts that way, but then they also have, well, I think
1: it begins more with the fact that as more people live in an area, you just need more rules to manage the Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. You know, it just comes down to that because if you're living in the middle of nowhere, it doesn't matter if you're shooting off fireworks at three in the morning or shooting your gun, uh, night shooting or something like that, you're not bothering anybody. Right. But eventually as more people move in, uh, those types of activities cannot continue. Yeah. And some people are going to continue them because there's no law preventing them from doing it. And so that's what leads to the laws. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good call. Um, can we circle back to, uh, the, you had mentioned law enforcement and the pay, uh, cause that's a big issue we see. I've got a lot of ties in the law enforcement community and I know a lot of guys that end up going in over the border into Washington and working because the pay is better over there. And I'm, you know, like, what is being done or what can be done to counteract that? Because um, I feel, and this is my guess here, the tax base is there now because there's a lot more people here. How does that catch up to where it becomes desirable? to Because we want our cops to live and work in the same community. That's always the best thing. Mm-hmm. Is there like a plan for that? or?
1: Well, okay. So I haven't finished my first year yet, but I finished my first budget. Yeah. And so what we did was we looked at Coeur police department's pay. And we modeled it to be 3% below that. Okay. And so we passed that. That is now in effect. And we're already starting to see deputies, uh, one in particular, came back to the sheriff's office. And uh, other people are starting to uh, revisit the Kootenai County Sheriff's Office. So I think it's very important that we pay people well because you can demand more and you often get better employees that way. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so. Another thing, uh, another reason why we increased the pay is because I did a, uh, basically a, a study on how much money we're spending recruiting and training oh, deputies. I read that article, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so what happened was um, we figured out that uh, it cost about $105,000 for the county to recruit and train a deputy to the point that their field training officer has signed off on them. Mm-hmm. And that means that they can drive a cruiser by themselves, but they're still a brand new deputy it takes about five years until you really have enough experience that you're, you're running on your own. You're a high performer at that point. You're efficient with your job.
0: I can attest to that. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> because in the beginning, you're constantly calling your supervisor. What do yeah. I do? How do I do that? How do I deal with this situation? And so forth. But as time goes by, you become much more efficient and you can manage your time very efficiently. Well, we looked at it cost 105,000 to recruit and train. Then we looked at how many deputies we hired from like 2010 to about 2017 and how many are still with us after five years. And out of the 62 that we found only 29 were still with us. Wow. Right. So 33 had left. Well, that adds up to $3.5 million in recruiting and training money that county taxpayers paid for that evaporated. And so that's the business case.
0: Why we want to pay people. So that they don't want to leave. That's a smart way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Is this coming from your business background, bringing these principles into your current position? Yes. Okay. Because yes. That's, that is a really smart, and that's a, a much easier way to justify it to the public if it needs to be justified of, hey, yeah, we're paying more now, but we're saving this down the road.
1: Well, that's true. And the thing about it is that the county government is really an organization. It's a business. It's a non nonprofit business. We're not supposed to be making a profit off of uh, taxpayers, but it is a business. It has revenues coming in and it has expenses going out. It has employees. It has benefits. It has all kinds of things. So that are similar to a regular, uh, for-profit business. So that's how I look at it is that we should be able to make the numerical case as to why we should be doing something the dollar case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. ah, that's cool. So, uh, that's good. And I had heard that Kootenai County uh, deputies got a raise recently. Yes. So that is fantastic. I know a few of them over there. Good guys. That's a great, great department in my opinion. So Mm -hmm. I'm always happy to see them out there doing their thing. Um, will, do you think other counties will follow suit? And I mean, I, I know it's not your wheelhouse, but what do you think?
1: Well, right now it's a, a race to, um, to pay the most we can because they know that in the end, they're going to save money on recruiting yeah. and training. Yeah. So um, the positions are in demand. Uh, they're in demand because state law requires us to be able to provide these services. So if we don't have the bodies, then we can't provide the service.
0: Yeah. Is, um, and I think we had touched on this prior to starting the podcast, but is there uh, plans to expand the jail as well?
1: Well, the jail has already
0: been expanded. Okay. Uh, but what happened about five, six
1: years ago, they didn't complete or finish off the second jail pod. And so, um, that's one of my priorities is to complete that jail pod. And the main reason for that is because every day for the last year we have exceeded the functional limit of our jail, meaning that we've gone past the legal limit. Mm. Uh, It's around 360 inmates. We've been hovering in the high 400s, low 500s almost every day. Okay. Now, the thing about it is that nothing has happened yet, but it is a liability. It's like driving your car, doing 100 miles an hour on the interstate, going way past the speed limit without insurance. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't mean you're going to get into an accident. Doesn't mean you're going to suffer a financial loss, but you certainly are exposing yourself to that. And so that's why we need to expand the jail so that we can properly house the inmates at a, a level that is within the uh, regulatory environment. The other reason is that once we expand the jail or it should not expansion, but you know, complete it, then we can start taking on contracts Mm. to house inmates for other agencies. And those contracts add up to somewhere in the range between one and $2 million. So that money can go to help support the staffing and pay people properly.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's that business side again. I like it. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. What other, uh, I know we had talked about some other expansions as the, the justice building. Do you want to get into that?
1: Yes. Okay. Um, that right now is something that I kind of walked into midstream and, um, uh, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that it's ended up the way that it has. Uh, it started off in February of 2022. I didn't take office until January of 2023, but the initial proposal was $22 million.
0: Can I um, backtrack and explain what it is? Because some people probably don't even know yeah. what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, I should have you explain it. Sure. <laughs> um,
1: it, it's like it's the expansion of the Justice Center. It's adding three courtrooms an additional office space for the criminal justice department, which includes prosecutors, adult misdemeanor, probation, courts, judges, clerks, things like
0: that. And this is in downtown Court Lane, Yes, right? it is. Yeah. Okay. So it, but it's a County building. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: And sadly, and there's no question about it. This is long overdue. I mean, we have people, basically sitting on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Kind of like if you go to New York city, how they park the cars on top of each other. Yeah. That's pretty much what this is like. Yeah. And it's terrible. It's not good working conditions. And so it definitely needs to be done, but this is a project that was initially proposed at $22 million Mm -hmm. that would be fully paid for by ARPA funds, which is money uh, um, that came in from the federal government that went to all the cities, counties, and so forth, where they could use that for our various projects. And excuse me. And so uh, it shouldn't have been a problem, right? That's in February. Well, fast forward just six months and the construction companies were doing their proposals to the County and they're like, Oh no, that's not going to be 22 million. This thing's going to be North of 30 million. So anyone who thinks you can, build a commercial structure for 300 bucks a square foot um, is kidding themselves because you can't build a home in Kootenai right. County for $300 a right. square foot. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the initial proposal to me is very suspect because it came from people who are in the industry and they gave a number that doesn't even fit a per square foot value right. for construction oh, gosh. that you can get any place else. So my first uh, reaction was how come these people weren't hauled before the board and kind of inquisitioned as to what are you doing here? You told us this, and this construction company is saying it's going to be at least eight million dollars more. That's a big mark a to difference. be off of. yeah, right if that's your business. So pass forward again from August of 2022 to December, again before I took office, and uh, the previous board increased the allocation from 22 to over 26 million of ARPA funds for this project, but they knew that that wasn't gonna be enough. Mm -hmm. And so I take office. My first meeting on this uh, Justice Center, the meeting is titled Project Cost. Project Cost. And so the presentation we got was $35 million. This is how much you can expect to spend on this building. Now, the way it was positioned to me by a contemporary of mine was that we have $15 million in reserves, $6 million will go to the building and $6 million will go to the expand or the completion of the jail pots. Well, turns out that the building wasn't 35 million. Uh, and I couldn't seem to get a good answer on how much this building is really going to cost because the numbers as what was uh, proposed to me would be finalized in August of this year. Well, August came and went, and they started digging. They started construction. Still didn't know what the total cost was. Oh boy. So, go to September 21. I asked a department head, Can you tell me how much this building is going to cost total? And I got two different answers 38 million and 34.7 or 34.8 million. And um, the very next day, I saw an email that was not sent to any of the commissioners that said that the uh, cost of the building was thirty eight point two million, and that was on September twenty second. Well, by October second, ten days later, it had gone up to thirty eight point five million. Oh, no. Wow! Four days after that, another hundred thousand. Now we're just under thirty eight point eight million. So, this is kind of that that situation where, to me, I don't understand how we can already be in construction right. and not right. have a handle on the total cost.
2: Yeah. It seems irresponsible for sure.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it could have been managed significantly better. I've never built a building. First thing I would have done is hire someone who's built buildings mm-hmm. and pay them to look out for me.
0: Right. That money will be worth it in the end.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It, it would, you know, the couple of nickels that you spend for that person will save you gobs of dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what I would have done. It's water under the bridge at this point. But what I've said is that um, we're not going to continue this building unless our budget director is involved every step along the way. Okay. Our budget director was not included in any of the meetings.
0: That seems odd. Cause it's such a big deal. Why?
1: It's only 38
0: million. Yeah. Bucks, mm-hmm. right? And
2: where is this extra money coming from? Where are they proposing? This is coming from.
0: That's a good question.
1: Yeah, we're going <laughs> to yep. find out. We're going to find out.
0: Um, I don't think you guys can print money like the federal government, right?
1: No. no. <laughs> Darn it. They've been working on that, but no. <laughs> so, so basically, uh, we've got the budget director who's now going to be involved with the meetings. We're going to have the quarterly reports for the ARPA spending because the federal government wants to see how we're spending the money. Mm-hmm. That's going to be audited as well as provided to the board for our review and approval before the reports are submitted. And then we're going to have a public hearing, which is this coming Monday. And uh, that's where we're going to see where the money comes from to pay for this building. Yesterday, we already allocated $9 million towards the completion of the jail pods and another $950,000 towards uh, the Kootenai County North Campus, which is an expansion uh, building for the sheriff's office.
0: uh, Is that like a substation, basically? Is that what it...
1: No, it's just, uh, they're, they're just kind of overflowing. They've kind of outgrown their uh, space. And so we're just adding uh, some deputies up there. Gotcha. Uh, but all the services remain in the county seat, which is Coeur d'Alene. Gotcha.
0: Because uh, some people might not know this. Kootenai County, they're contracted with the city of Hayden, right? To provide law enforcement. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's, that's where that's going, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, well, which is well, pretty common. Well, it's not for Hayden. It's for the county. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So it's a pretty large facility, so a lot of the patrol's gonna end up there.
0: Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So and then this justice building, that's hmm. It's a boondoggle. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad there are people like you that are paying attention though, because it seems like if someone weren't paying attention, it could just keep going and going and going.
1: Well, you know, the part that disappoints me is that we're now at this point and I finally figured it out because I didn't understand these numbers. They were never really clearly presented. Uh, There were other people managing this project and they didn't make it a point to say, Hey, look, it's the cost keeps going up. Where are we going to get the money from? Mm -hmm. It continued to be a little bit of a no problem. Don't worry about it. We have it. We have it. The problem I have with that is that, yeah, we do have the money for it, but that money is at the expense of other future capital projects. We have software that needs to be updated and that's multi-million dollar, um, you know, costs for that software. So it's very important that we don't overspend our savings, uh, for future needs Yeah, as well as the economy. Right. We don't know where that's going to go either. So,
0: How, what is the current state of like the budget for Kootenai County? Is Kootenai County doing well? yes yeah today it is today <laughs> good and is that just because of an influx of people and then increase in ta- in tax base overall uh we have a good uh we had a
1: couple different things happen uh we had some uh, urds uh, urban renewal districts that expired and so that means more money that comes in uh, we've had a little extra money coming in from the state and uh, and then some of the tax rolls just came in a little better yeah we also updated our uh, fee structure. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that um, most of the money for the county comes from property taxes and fees. Mm -hmm. And then you've got grants and some money from the state. So the county cannot make a profit when they charge a fee, but they can charge a fee that's equal to the cost. Now, I believe that the fees should definitely equal the cost because I don't want homeowners to bear the burden. Through their property taxes to subsidize services that should be paid for by fees. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we we went through the fees uh, structure again this year and uh, adjusted them to reflect the current costs.
0: Is that for like, uh, what kind of fees would that be? Is that related to homes or
1: building? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: registrations, things gotcha. like that. Gotcha. Um, and then do you want to touch on taxes a little bit? That's, a, that's always a topic people are curious about. Yes. Um, We've done some research on it ourselves because we do get asked that a lot, but uh, I think that's yeah. worth touching on if you have some info yeah. on that.
1: Yeah, the commissioners are limited to um, increasing the the rates by uh, no more than 3%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's good for the citizens, um, and it's not good for the citizens. And the main reason for that is because we have services that we must provide. And I don't want to charge one penny more or ask people to pay one penny more in taxes uh, than they have to. However, if we want to have a safe community, if we want to have a community where we have a proactive law enforcement department and not a reactive law enforcement department, it costs money. Mm -hmm. And if we want to have a jail that's safe for the inmates, that costs money. The criminal justice system in Kootenai County costs roughly, it's close to half the budget, if not a little bit more. Yeah, You know, I mean, I'm just talking, uh, the sheriff's office is about a third. But then you've got the prosecutor's office. We also have public defender. And as you know, you want to have a good public defender Mm -hmm. because if people don't get proper representation, it's quite often uh, through the appeal process, they can get off, Mm -hmm. right? So it's really good to have good public defenders. It also leads to better law enforcement because they're going to follow the rules more. And it also makes for better prosecutions. And so all of this costs money. And uh, so that to me is the number one priority given the fact and the amount of growth that we've experienced that uh, we have a very
0: proactive
1: law enforcement uh, component to our county government.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you say that. Cause I think that's what really makes the difference. Um, when you see downtown Coraline and how clean it is. Uh, I think that's a function of a hundred percent of a proactive law enforcement and knowing how to deal with people and people that, you know, the homeless, they, there are none here. Almost. Um, and having the resources to send them to, but also being able to enforce the law to keep them from doing the things that allow them to kind of infiltrate. Mm-hmm. And I, like that's huge to me. And well, I hope that never changes. It's
1: called quality of life. Yeah. You know, but we also have a criminal element. I mean, th- this county is a large county. Yeah. And uh, there's large swaths of it that never get patrolled. And you can pretty much do anything you want in the county. And as long as no one complains, it'll go on. Uh, unnoticed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have a fentanyl problem, uh, every year, the uh, death rate from fentanyl is doubling. And, uh, you know, it's our kids that we have to protect. Right. So it's very important that we have the resources necessary. A lot of people don't realize that over in Spokane, they largely don't enforce the law, especially drug law that much anymore. Right. And so they know about this particular gas station where you just pull up there and someone will come out from the weeds or the brush or whatever, and uh, ask you how many pills you want,
2: mm. you
1: know. And uh, I think it's like a dollar thirty or a dollar forty a pill, wow. and you can buy a thousand pills and and transport that to Montana and and sell them for twenty thousand dollars. Wow! So twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollar expense for the pills, drive three four hours, and you've made eighteen eighteen grand. Wow! Mm-hmm. So and of course, Kootenai County is at the intersection of ninety five and I-90, right?
0: So it's major thoroughfares that come through here. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think drug interdiction is a big deal. I've seen a, we, our kids go to school, uh, down the road there, uh, towards Washington. So I've seen a deputy on the shoulder there a few times and I'm thinking he's doing drug interdiction would be my guess. That was pretty common where I used to work is, uh, you know, guys would get real good at that, sit mm-hmm. on the shoulder and they're, they're, they're profiling, not for race or anything like that, but for certain indicators that someone is trafficking and they're good and they'll grab that stuff up, which is awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, I know when we're doing it right, when people are driving down through Boise. Yeah. Right. They're going around. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Cause it's too, it's too risky to come through here. That's great. Mm-hmm. Ah, I like to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what other uh, kind of growth factors are you seeing or issues you guys are running into?
1: Well, one of the things that I ran on was trying to stop irresponsible growth. Yeah. And one of the things that I think people don't understand and they really need to learn it is how the system works here in Idaho. Idaho is a very pro property rights state, which on its surface seems great. Uh, However, at some point as a community, I believe we should be able to dictate what we want our community to look like and how we want it to be. And so that runs into conflict with the idea of individual property rights when it comes to real estate. Okay. You know, should you be allowed to do anything you want on your property? Well, we know there's a limit. The question is, where's is that limit? Okay. And should I be able to buy a hundred acres and decide that I want to develop it and put 2000 apartment buildings there, right? Apartment units next to your nice home where you have peace and tranquility And you go, wait a second, this is going to ruin my neighborhood. Mm. This is going to change it forever. You know, and when I say ruin it, not initially, uh, but I think, you know, in law enforcement, you know, a lot, a lot of calls for service go to apartment communities. Right. Yeah. Outsized. Yep. Right. And it's not the first generation of tenants. You know, it's usually by the third, fourth or fifth generation because these owners of these apartment buildings they're not benevolent when it comes to the rates that they charge. They're not gonna say, I'm not gonna increase my rates because you know, these people can't afford it. They're gonna charge the maximum amount they can because that's how they increase the value of their property, Mm -hmm. okay? And it's gonna be left upon us, the taxpayer, to figure out a way to make these uh, housing units affordable. And that's why you often see subsidized housing eventually, right? And then that leads to more calls for service
0: right? 100%. That's
1: right. And then of course your healthcare gets delivered or dispensed from the ambulance and the emergency room. Right. And so we have to pay for that because hospitals are not allowed to turn people away if they don't have health insurance. Yeah. Right. So something that was very small in the beginning that could have been addressed easily at a clinic ends up
0: becoming an emergency room situation. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. You talk to any ambulance driver too, and they're like, mm-hmm. you know, someone will call in, oh, I've got a cough. I need to yeah. need to ride in the ambulance and they can't say no. Yeah.
1: And, and so where as a community can we draw the line on that? You know, and, and that's where I get back to the density leading to more liberal policies. And that's just the, that's the way it works. And so when we talk to people who have very strong property rights convictions, what they're basically saying is that we, we end up shooting ourselves in the foot that way because we say, I want to be able to do whatever I want with my property. I want to be able to develop it. However I want, five by 40 acres. I want to be able to sell off, you know, four, five acre parcels, whenever I want and just increase the density. Mm-hmm. But as you're doing that, you're changing the community, mm-hmm. the community that drew you here because of the space, yep. because of the lower density. And so that's where as a community, you know, I do believe we should be able to say what we want and what
0: we don't want. There's, I guess there's a delicate balance there too with, um, affordable housing for people and that like you just talked about. Well, you tell me what affordable housing is well, yeah. <laughs> because here's the
1: problem. And this is the way that I see it is we're witnessing millions of people coming over the border right now every year. Yeah. Okay. They're being right now bust into communities all over the country. Okay. So now we have these people who are watching their communities change in ways that make them very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and they're leaving. Okay. So now when you have a million people throughout the country who are leaving these communities and they want to move to places like here, how will you ever get affordable housing?
0: Good point. The the demand is too much and it just drives the price right out there's
1: no such thing as that so it's either market rate or it's subsidized Hmm. there's no in between there's no gray area on that
0: i like the way you look at that i
1: mean i i think that's that's
0: factual right yeah Yeah.
1: Hmm. you know and so you know from my perspective i would like to see the density remain low but the consequence of that is that your property values are probably going to go through the roof right okay Mm -hmm. now we can build and I've seen this too, where I came from, they build lots of starter condos, lots of apartments, and those starter condo, the values never go up because there's always new ones going in, right? Until the last one goes in and then the values start to go up because now you're reaching uh, that supply and demand. Supply becomes limited or finite. And so demand will drive the prices up. And I've seen that yeah. where you can buy a starter condo and it did not, I remember my sister bought one and it it didn't go up in price at all for the entire time she lived there. And then as, she, as soon as she sold it, it doubled in value, ah. you know, <laughs> right afterwards. And that's just how that works. Yeah. And those communities, by the way, they change and they, again, more calls for service right? More ambulance calls and they just become a much more expensive, uh, side, you know, part of the community that we as taxpayers have to have to fix and deal with.
2: So it seems like, Now, if you look through Hayden and Post Falls and all that, like that's happening, we're having so much building going on. There's all kinds of um, residential communities, um, apartment buildings, condos being built everywhere. Yes. So I don't know. Where does this lead?
1: Well, I guess we'll just have to uh, wait five years. Yeah. Mm. But um, I can't imagine it's going to lead differently than any other community in this country.
0: Right. Which – I, I mean, a hundred percent has to with more people is going to come more problems, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And that's going to frustrate those that grew up here even more. And then, you know, yes. but, and those that have been here a long time, it's the same thing. Like, you know, you moved here for a reason. And now that reason is like eh, it's well, slipping.
1: A lot of the people who are in charge, I don't believe have gone through some of the experiences that many of us who have relocated here have seen. Mm. And so their decisions are made with good intentions, but I don't think they understand the consequences of those decisions because they seem so innocuous at first. They seem like they're really helping people and they're helping the community.
0: Right. Cause you're thinking, Oh, we're putting more housing in. We're going to keep the housing prices down. Mm-hmm. But I see your point on that. Yeah. Is that hard to, um, combat that from where, where you're at? Are you, is it hard to get that your point across to them, to other people?
1: Well, I, say to them exactly what I just said today. I mean, yeah. there's no such thing as affordable housing. When you have a million people who want to move here, uh, when other parts of the country are changing so dramatically that they, these people no longer want to live there. I mean, COVID was a great experiment for people to see just how tyrannical their local governments were. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I call them micro tyrants. You yeah. know, these people yeah. wanted to tell you everything that you could do. I mean, in some respects, it felt like being in boot camp again, you know, And they're telling you what you got to wear and what time you got to be there and, you know, what you're going to do and all those kinds of things, which is to me, not who we are. Yeah. Certainly as conservatives, Mm -hmm. you know, I believe that you should be given all the information, good information and let you make that decision. Yeah. But I, my job is to make sure that you get good information.
0: Yeah. That's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I mean, we've encountered and we were part of that of people literally who felt like they were running for their lives mm-hmm. uh and and you know like they will do anything to get here or places like this like yes you know what i mean they'll sacrifice yes. whatever they have to because they literally feel like their family's lives depend upon it mm-hmm. so that's where you know i don't know that the growth will slow i don't know no but there are things that we can
1: do um and i'm focused on that right now with our comp plan which is our long-term plan. State law requires every jurisdiction to have a long-term plan. And so uh, we're in the process now, uh, the very beginning processes of setting up so we can get feedback from the community. Because right now I don't believe more people want, uh, people in this community want more more growth. In fact, when I was running for office, no one came up to me and said, Bruce, you know, Kootenai County's not growing fast enough. What can <laughs> you do? <laughs> no, no one said that. Yeah. Okay. And so, I want to get feedback from the community and that will be the driver for our comp plan. And that comp plan will, will basically set where the guardrails are like on a a road of of what's acceptable uh, for growth projects and what's not. And anything that falls outside of those guardrails has to come before the board. And that's where I want us to build. I refer to it as like a dashboard similar to the dashboard on your car. So you have a speedometer, it tells you if you're going too fast or too slow, a tachometer, it's got a little uh, yellow check engine light that says, you know, something's not going right, but it's not imminent that you need to pull over. So I'd like to do the same thing, for example, with our sheriff's office. You know, how many inmates do we have on a daily basis, like a 50 day or hundred day moving average uh, compared to what is our legal limit? Uh, what is our uh, capacity to, to handle more solid waste? for example. Mm-hmm. And at what point are we going to start running out of space given the trajectory of, of, uh, the amount of, uh, uh, refuse that we're dealing with. Yeah. Right. And so you'd be able to look at these little indicators of how efficient our County services are to the population that we have. And that hopefully will be, um, used for decision-making on growth projects because if we can't support it, why are we saying yes to it? Right. You know, I mean, if a million people, all the people who own land decided they wanted to develop at the same time, could we reasonably say yes and support that? Mm. And the answer is no. The only reason we can support it is because it happens through incrementally. Mm -hmm. But we're not paying attention to our ability to provide county services for people. And I think that is very important when we make our decisions, especially if you look at like the number of uh, deputies per uh, 1,000 residents, they do the same thing in Coeur d'Alene. I think there are about 1.74, um, police officers per thousand
0: residents. Yeah.
1: So where do we want to be and where are we right now?
0: Yeah. Are you like, do you feel like you're a lone voice out there or is there, are there other managers that are like understanding that mentality?
1: The people I talk to, they seem to be very receptive to it. Um, but it's not like they're cause celeb or anything like that. And, the way I look at this project is that it's very long-term we've hit a very recent growth spurt here Mm -hmm. and it's probably going to slow down uh, thanks to uh, Powell at the uh, federal reserve uh, Mm -hmm. increasing the uh, interest rates. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. It's definitely slowed things down.
1: Yeah. And uh, consequently we're, we're not, we're going to kind of get to a more normal rate of uh, uh, growth stability and the growth will probably be very minimal like it was between 2013 and 2019, 2020. But with that said, I want us to be ready for when that next uh, round of growth comes so that the community doesn't change so quickly Yeah, because that is what's hard. It's one thing to have slow and steady. It's another to have just this massive change overnight because, you know, a community by definition are the people who live within it. I mean, and this community is defined not by the mountains, not by the lake, but by the people who live here. And when you change the people who live in a community by default, you are changing the community. Yeah. You know? And you could ask the same question with a country when you are changing the people who are coming into this country, you know, with the people who are here, you are by default changing this country. And the same uh, concept applies at the
0: community level. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know? Um, oh, I had a good question and it slipped my mind. Darn it.
1: We can get back to
0: that. It'll, it'll, come, it'll, back it'll to come back to me. me. Yeah. Hopefully not two minutes after we finish. <laughs> Probably. Mm-hmm. <will. laughs> um I loved I love talking about growth. Oh, I remember what it was. Uh so I mean, because we talk about this a lot, obviously we're in real estate, but I feel like as soon as the interest rates drop down, you know, like if we see we see five percent again, it's gonna go bonkers again. That's that's what it feels like I to mean, us. Even so,
2: in early spring when interest rates just dipped down a little bit, we saw a floodgate open a little bit again. And then as soon as they went back up a little bit. Kind of slammed it shut a little. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think as soon as we see interest rates, it's kind a of bit, scary. Yeah.
0: You know, we're starting to kind of lay out. lay foundations in our business just so we can be ready for that when it does happen, which I think it will. Mm-hmm. So I get I get that's a good point that you guys are, you know, planning for that, too.
1: That's what I'm working
0: on trying to
2: plan <laughs> for that. <laughs> it takes time.
0: It, it does, and that's one of the things
1: about government compared to private sector business. You know, if I want to do something, I can just do it quickly. Yeah. Here you have other people. And of course you have statute that you must follow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So it'll take time.
0: Um, what other growth things are being considered? Uh, I guess there's a lot of infrastructure as far as roadways, things like that. Is that, uh, well there's impact fees. Mm-hmm. uh, the state
1: recently, uh, passed some legislation to, um, kind of clarify and let us charge impact fees. But I have to tell you, um, as much as we know that this is a great state and it is a great state, I'm very disappointed in the fact that our state legislature sometimes really misses the mark and the impact fee uh, statutes really did. Yeah. And the main reason for that is because when you look at it on its surface, it, it looks great. You know, we get the charge fees. So that growth pays for growth. But as you dig a little bit more into the statute, what you realize is that it's window dressing and it's window dressing that looks wonderful, probably crafted by the building association. Because the way it works is, the impact fees that we collect can only be used on long-term assets, like buildings. Hmm. If we don't spend the money we collect within eight years, we have to give it back to the developer. Oh, wow. Now, the life cycle of buildings goes far beyond an eight-year cycle, right? right? We can't use it for uh, patrol cars. We can't use it for firearms. We can't use it for uniforms. We can't use it for anything like that.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: So what happens is, is that the only way we can effectively use it is if we incur debt because we can use it to service debt, but you can't take on debt in this state unless you get two thirds majority vote. (laughs) So as you can see, it's, it's functionally dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way that we're really ever going to be able to collect fees that are going to be used in a way so that growth legitimately can pay for growth. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: That's got to be really hard to kind of navigate all of this dealing with restrictions like that.
1: Well, there's not much to really navigate knowing that it's just not going to be effective. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can try to, you know, we're in the process of trying to get these things implemented and something is better than nothing. Uh, But is it really going to make a difference now? And so what's happened is, is that the citizens here are now burdened with the cost of paying for the growth, ultimately in the long run. Mm -hmm. I mean, the jail pods, uh, the completion of that, that's coming from taxpayer dollars. That's not coming from new growth.
0: Right. You know, and so
1: that's the problem. And if you really get down to the heart of uh, the issue, it all comes down to two words, cost shifting. How can I shift my cost onto you? And that in essence is what this is, because if you can shift the cost of growth onto the existing residents, then you can make more profit because you know, in the real estate business, there's always a ceiling of how much you can charge for real estate. right? Mm -hmm. And so the way you make your money is by cutting your costs, especially in development. But when you have large impact fees that go on top of your regular costs, well, that interferes with your profit margins. Mm -hmm. And so uh, effectively they can shift the cost onto the citizens that already live here.
0: Yeah. Where do you see, what do you see this area like in 10 years?
1: Uh, it probably will be very unrecognizable. You think so? Yeah.
0: Just with like density or just everything.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because, uh, one of the largest drivers of density are the cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that once land gets annexed into the cities, they're no longer, uh, subject to the County it's now the cities mm-hmm. and the cities generally promote more density. You see that in post falls. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you see that even a little bit here in Coeur d'Alene. Um and uh,
0: Hayden of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh. Hmm. What uh, we always ask this question to people and um, what's like your favorite part, favorite thing about North Idaho.
1: The people. Yeah. That's what defines this community. Yeah. There's a lot of really good, solid, uh, rational thinking people who recognize what's going on in this country. Uh, They've left from other parts of the country that are no longer recognizable to them. And uh, they don't want to see that happen here. Mm -hmm. And so they they get engaged. Um, The only thing I can ask is that just try to learn how it works in Idaho. Yeah. You know, read the statutes, learn how things work in your own community because you can't really manifest change uh, just by saying, well, why don't you just do this? Or why don't you just do that? It doesn't work that way. Yeah, You know, if you want to do those things, you got to change the rules and that usually requires going down to Boise. So if you can't change the rules in Boise, then figure out how to manage within the rules Mm -hmm. at your local level.
0: Yeah.
2: So now can those impact fees that you were talking about and how they're not really quite usable here, is that something that, can be changed on the state level by going to Boise and like,
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, uh, I tell all of our local legislators, uh, a one character amendment to that statute is all we need. Just add a one in front of the eight, give mm-hmm. us 18 years to spend that money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all. If we can't spend it in 18 years on a building, you know, We'll give it back to the developer. Yeah, but but eight years—that's not enough time. Yeah.
2: Do you think that was an oversight, or do you think that they did that intentionally?
1: Well, I mean, we're talking about pretty smart people. Yeah. We're talking about attorneys reviewing documents. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard for me to think that it was just just, an oversight. Just trying Mm -hmm. to look good. (laughs) A lot of this legislation, it—you have lobbyists. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have uh, strong lobbyists down in Boise. People sometimes don't realize that it's every state capital has them.
0: Yeah.
2: Now on our, um, here in North Idaho, um, politically, like, and I don't know how much you see or are involved with the city as well, but, um, are you seeing people who are running and people who are getting involved, um, being more on the liberal side? Or are we staying pretty conservative?
1: Well, It's a good question. What's happening now is that uh, on the conservative side, which is our central committee, the local Republican central committee, which is the official Republican party in Kootenai County has gotten involved in nonpartisan races as far as vetting candidates. And that's really one of those areas where people on the left typically run for office in these nonpartisan races because they don't really have to reveal or talk about their political leanings or ideology. Mm. Okay, So once the central committee got involved in that, it kind of motivated people on the other side to get more involved. And so you're seeing much more of a fight now for these positions, mm-hmm. these seats. Um, the, I think the most important thing is that we get people who say they are, you know, who they say, who they say they are, they are. Mm. Okay. And that, um, they genuinely want to reflect what the community wants. And that the other thing is we should be very careful about electing people where this ends up being a step up for them, whether it's a social promotion, a monetary promotion, things like that. You want people who have good experience that they can bring to the table and are thoughtful and can think critically
0: yeah i love it this is good do um i often think about like the state of the country and i feel like i'm very thankful that we live where we do you feel the same way i mean i feel like this could be one of the last holdouts down the line here
1: well when you watch what happened during covid yeah you can see the difference there you go it was very disappointing to see uh the local health district uh, declare that uh, everyone needed to wear a mask or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, pay a hundred dollar fine. I didn't understand. I I read the statute. I didn't understand how you could uh, quarantine a uh, healthy person. Right. You know, but I guess they wanted to shut off uh, 95 and 90 into the County and just keep us all stuck in here.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I disappointed in that as well. I have a friend that works in the hospital system here and he said they had a COVID outbreak, outbreak recently and um they uh started requiring their employees to wear masks and he was pretty upset about that and wondering you know what if i don't comply what's going to happen And yeah. yeah i hate seeing that
1: well they did the same thing with the uh, vax mandate mm-hmm. in idaho and one of the things uh, you know and i look at politics a lot a lot more different sometimes than you know just the person who kind of blurts out I'm a conservative Mm -hmm. and I believe in property rights and things like that. Uh, I believe that we should have the government we want. Uh, the left gets the government they want in their cities. Yeah. Right. So why should we be afraid of government? Why should we say we don't want any government or, or, you know, extreme limited government? I want government to do what I want it to do for my community. Okay. And that includes not letting people build lead smelting plants or, um, you know, 2000 apartment units next to where I le- live and, and, uh, ruin, uh, the, uh, the whole, uh, the views, the space, the, the, right. the lack of density. Yeah. I want government to help me with that. And I also want government to keep businesses from, uh, imposing draconian, rules on employees that that force them to have to face whether they want to engage in a company policy like taking a vaccine that has not been properly tested Mm. right it takes about 10 years or lose your job and not be able to take care of your family right that that to me is you know an abomination in essence to allow corporations to do that to their own people yeah. I mean, because if I'm a government official and I want that to happen, well, what prevents me from going to a corporation to say, well, I'm not going to impose the law, right? I'm not going to block your freedom of speech. I'll just get YouTube to shut you down or I'll get, you know, Facebook to deplatform you. Yep. Right. So they don't need the laws at that point. And the government's job is to protect us from these kinds of infringements. Yeah. Okay. And um, so I think we should try to have the government that we want for our community and not be afraid of government, but we have to just figure out where that right amount is. Yeah.
0: I love the way you sure. think. him. Yeah, we- glad we had this conversation. Um, any other points that you wanted to touch on?
1: Boy, there's, we could be here for a long time. Got some good ones. We could be here for a long time. You know, right now we do have, uh, we have a ballot um, initiative uh, for an open space bond. It's coming up here in uh, this November election. Okay. And, um, you know, I really like it in the sense that, and I'm torn about this. I really like it because if we get the two thirds votes, the citizens basically will give the County the authorization to borrow up to $50 million to buy up land on the Prairie Mm -hmm. oh, and turn it into parkland. So it'll never be developed. Oh yeah. Okay. And I think that this is a wonderful program. The part that tears me a little bit is that we have a justice center expansion that started off at $22 million and now is at 38.8 million. And it bothers me because we should be better than that. And I want the citizens to be confident that if they're going to allow us to borrow money, to buy up land, that we're going to do it the right way and that they're going to be extremely happy with the results of that. And so that's where I'm torn about this. Um, But, this is an opportunity for the citizens to have a direct say over the trajectory of growth. Will this stop growth? No. Will this slow it down? Some probably, especially if there's less density on the prairie Mm -hmm. Um, and it opens up uh, more space for people to be able to use in perpetuity. This land can never be sold for a profit. It can't be developed. It can't be turned into fairgrounds or anything like that. It is open space, open parkland space. I love it are I, you, do
2: too. I think it's much needed oh yeah
0: are you getting pushback on that is it is it is it the old argument of like i just don't want to pay more taxes or anything like that uh, a little bit yeah
1: but you see here's the thing okay and people have to understand this you know, everything is framed right now in a very binary choice between uh paying more taxes or paying less taxes right, right. Remember that sticker that you'd see on the cars back in the 70s? It was uh, gas, grass, or butt. No one rides uh-huh. for free, uh-huh. yep. right? Yeah. Okay. Well, no one rides for free with growth, okay? You're either going to be spending your time sitting in your car seat, wasting your gas, going through you know multiple light cycles to get through an intersection. Yeah. You're going to be standing in line where the grass grows under your feet when you're at the checkout at the store, or you're going to pay for it with a few extra dollars in your tax money, but you're going to pay for growth one way or another. You're going to pay for the, you're going to, you're going to have a cost to the consequence of growth. Mm -hmm. And so my argument is that for a few extra bucks, it'll lead to less density and more open space. And we know that when people are around open space, they're happier, they're healthier. Right. I mean, that's, we know that. Yeah. So, for a few extra bucks and with that less density it'll probably help your property values
0: would um uh, how much land are we talking to roughly any idea Important. or we're talking i mean hundreds of acres i would assume that's uh, well as you know real estate's pretty expensive here. it is, <laughs> it it is. is yes. yes
1: 50 million dollars that might get you a two bedroom <laughs> you know now it, it my hope is is that we can work with some of the families who do own large tracts of land right and try to find a way where in exchange for maybe selling it to the county for a little bit of a break, not a lot, but a little bit, uh, you know, we can do something in exchange. I don't know if that would include naming a park after the family name or something like that, but that way uh, we could buy up as much as we could, but I don't know how much that would be. If we get the approval on the bond, we don't have to spend the money immediately. Mm. We could wait until we find the right time, the right properties to buy where we can get more value for the money. And, um, that could be five years. We might find something for 10 million and then we would buy a $10 million piece of land, turn it into parkland. Okay. And, uh, it may not be another 10 years until we uh, find another lot to purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but each of those purchases will be amortized over 20 years to pay back. And then if we make another purchase before the first, uh, purchase is um, paid off, then we would, um, uh, just stack those payments on top of each other.
0: Yeah. I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. Is the focus of that like the prairie area? I guess that's probably. Yes. The only the, spot the, to go. huh? The Drum Prairie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Because you, you drive out there now and you look at the farms that are still there. And uh, every time I drive by a picture, okay, that's going to be, you yeah, know, a thousand houses. That. This is all going to be well, houses someday. That's yeah. the new crop. Yeah. yeah. tract housing. Yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah. they do okay with it. They do a fair amount of green space, uh, but it's not. Yeah. It's not a park. Yeah.
1: And, you know, and th- this is a good example, too, of how density changes a community. Um, you know, the farmers out there used to burn the fields.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now they can. not and, yeah.
1: and they couldn't do it because at some point someone moved up here and said, nope, the, the smoke is bothering me too much. Yeah. And it became such a hassle. The farmer said, you know, to heck with it, you know, because if I can't farm the way that I, that I can farm most efficiently, then why should I continue farming? Mm-hmm. And so that's how a community changes as more density, you know, occurs.
0: Man, I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. I didn't even know about that. So that'll be on the election in November. It'll be on the ballot. The ballot, yeah.
1: And uh, we'll start ramping up, uh, getting more communication out there. But like I said, it's very difficult because we've got this uh, justice center that, you know, is becoming a boondoggle. And I don't want people to lose confidence in our ability to do what's right for them.
0: Yeah. Any other hot topics? Not right now. Okay. Not right now. This is uh, this has been a really good conversation. I'm super happy to have that. I can't wait to share this. Cause I, I learned a ton today. Um, I'm really happy that to know that you're out there in government. I have never met you before and this has been good. I like the way you think. I think a lot of people will if they don't know you. Um, and we will have to have you back on again periodically just sure. to get updates because this is a great way to get information out.
1: Yeah. Anytime, anytime. And, you know, again, I really emphasize that the community, the people who care about this community get to know your elected officials. Yeah. you know, Get to understand how the system works, you know, and if you really want and you have the time, get involved. You know, um, I, when I signed up for the reserves when I was younger, You know, that was uh, what I thought would be my term, you know, to serve the country. Yeah. And now we're watching our country um, change from within. And so this is my second term to do what I can to prepare our community uh, uh, to be good, uh, to be in a good fiscal position, but also to be able to manage things that could happen that other communities are already experiencing. Mm -hmm. And we don't want those things to happen here.
0: Love it great information.
2: We appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank Thank you, Bruce. All right. Thank you. Thanks guys. Talk to you later.